Father, we were the ones that you delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. We were the ones that you brought out of the land of bondage. You set us free. We thank you, Father, for your grace, your great and wonderful salvation. And it's with joy and delight that we worship you this morning as the one true God. Our Father, we come now as men and women who continue to be in, in need. We um, lift up those in our midst who suffer this week physically. We pray that you would minister to them and show yourself as the God that heals. Father, we pray for our senior pastor and those who are with him in Brazil. We would lift them up to you and ask that you continue to give them good ministry there, success as they preach your word and minister the gospel to those people. We pray for their safety and their physical well-being. We pray, Father, that as they return to us this week, you'll protect them as they travel. Father, as we pause now to give this offering to you, it is, it is symbolic of, of the fact that all that we have and all that we are belong to you. We, Father, could not exist another day without you. And we give a portion of what you've given us, how you've prospered us materially, financially, we give it back to you. With a grateful heart, we say thank you, Father, for you are good. We pray, Father, that you will bless this service, that it will be pleasing to you. We pray that the, the word, Lord, would not return void. We pray that you would, Lord, use the speaker as he opens the word of God today before your people. And then, Father, as we gather around this sacrament and celebrate your grace once again, we pray, Father, we'll be stimulated. Our love for you will be confirmed again this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake and glory. Amen. I might also mention, if you'll hang on to that little insert, we're going to sing again in this service, uh, not only at the very end, as we usually do, as we close with that great hymn, but we're going to sing. Uh, the, the, I've asked the uh, worship team to come back at the end of the sermon and lead us again before we celebrate the sacrament. So you'll need to hold on to that worship sheet there with you. Stick it in your Bible next to our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's begin reading in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. About eight years ago, I think it was, I was driving down Union Avenue one Friday morning. I was coming east down Union Avenue back toward Germantown. I'd left the, I think the Methodist Hospital somewhere in uh, some, somewhere downtown, and I was coming back east on Union Avenue, and I pulled up at a stop sign, and uh, just as I got stopped, a man rear-ended me, and I, I, I knew that it wasn't really serious. Of course, no one was hurt, and so almost uh, 
in a, in a reflex, both of us just pulled up in this parking lot next, uh, right there at the intersection. It was a service station uh, to get out of the traffic, early morning traffic. So we just pulled up. He pulled in right behind me. I got out of my car and went to the back, and I saw, well, you know, gosh, it did do some damage. And uh, his car wasn't too bad, but it, mine was damaged the worst. And so I suggested, well, I'll, I'll go into the service station here and call the police. We'll have to get a police report. And he said, no, 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 let's don't call the police. Uh, we can handle this. Uh, I'll take care. You can, uh, you can trust me. I'll take care of the damage. Well, I was a little hesitant. I, I, I knew that we need to get a police report, so I insisted that I go into the um, service station and call the police. He said, no, 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 let's don't call the police. He pulled out his billfold, and he, he gave me his card. And I looked on the card, and I immediately recognized the name. I'd never met the gentleman, but I knew his name. He, was a, he is a well-respected businessman here in Memphis. If you've lived here very long, you've patronized his businesses. His father, in fact, started the business years ago, and he took, the, took over after his father's death. Well-respected man. And it just so happened that the chief financial officer of his business, of his company, was a member of the church where I was serving on staff. So I thought, well... Um, that's some reconciliation. If we don't call the police and he doesn't pay the bill, at least I can talk to my friend and maybe he'll get things taken care of for me. So I said, okay, we won't call the police. Now, guys, that's, those details are really beside the point this morning. Do you know what that respected businessman was out doing that morning? He was delivering hot meals for MIFA. In fact, that's one of the reasons he rear-ended me, he was looking off to his right, looking for a, an address to see where he was on Union Avenue, and he turned around and ran into the back of me. But he was delivering meals for MIFA. You know MIFA, the Memphis Interfaith Association, a very good organization. In fact, we support MIFA as a church. We send them money each month. A good parachurch organization. And there are lots of other good parachurch organizations out there that we support as a church. Uh, we could talk about some of the campus ministries. My own daughter participates occasionally in Reform University Fellowship on her college campus. Uh, some of you uh, older people have been influenced by a campus crusade for Christ, a great parachurch organization. We could mention others here in Memphis. Uh, a prison fellowship. Some of you are involved in prison fellowship. Good organizations. Now, here's my question. Do you know why this church, or do you know why the church is unique? Do you know why Grace Evangelical Church stands unique above MIFA? Do you know why the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is uniquely different from Reform University Fellowship or Prison Fellowship? The church is unique because the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is a household built upon the foundations of the apostles. And the reformers brought a new emphasis upon this. The reformers brought a refocus upon the attributes of the true church. They looked into the New Testament and they said, there are identifying marks that make a church true. You know what they are? There are three. You can find them in the New Testament. Three marks of a true church. The first one, the reformers saw that the New Testament stipulation was first, there must be the true preaching of the Word of God. The reformers knew this. They knew that the apostles established the church by preaching the scriptures and their fulfillment. We see it in Acts chapter 2, that the fellowship, the partnership of the early church continued or existed among those 
who continued in the apostles' teaching. So there must be the true preaching of the Word of God in order for the church to be true. Now, guys, I don't know if you ever think about it, but I occasionally do. You know, there, there could come a day when this church stops preaching faithfully the Word of God. When we deviate from the fundamentals of this book, and once we do that, according to the Scriptures, we have become apostate. We are no longer a true church. One example would be the fundamental precept that we hold to, justification by faith alone. If we ever deviate from that, if we ever adopt anything other than that as a way of salvation, we have become apostate. We are no longer a true church. There must be the faithful and the true preaching of God's Word. There's another identifying characteristic of a true church. This one might come as a surprise to you. It's the faithful exercise of church discipline. There must be discipline in the body if it's to remain true. Now, there are a couple of fundamental texts that we hold to that help us build our case for this. One is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. There, Jesus gives us the formula for working out differences, for offenses in the body. Matthew 18, you can study it this afternoon. Another text is found in the teaching epistles, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives a command to the church at Corinth, to the leaders at Corinth, and he commands them to put away a man who has been found guilty of sexual immorality. Very strong words. Paul says, put away this person, put him out from your midst. We must remain true. We must remain pure. Now, the goal of church discipline, of course, is the restoration of a fallen brother, not his destruction. So if the restoration of a fallen brother is the goal, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose of church discipline, the highest aim of church discipline, is the glory of God. See, if we allow notorious sin to exist in our midst, then it shows a high regard, or a lack of regard, a high neglect for the glory of Christ. So we're taught to discipline those within the body who have fallen into notorious and impeachable sins. So we found that there must be the true preaching of the Word of God, there must be the faithful exercise of church discipline, and there's one other mark of a true church. The proper administration of the sacraments. See, gang, if the preaching of the Word of God is the preaching of the gospel through the ears of man, to the ears of man, then the celebration of this sacrament this morning is the preaching of the gospel to the eyes. This sacrament is a visual aid. It's a visual demonstration of the gospel of grace. And so what I want to do this morning, I don't think we've ever done it on a Sunday morning, I want to take just a few minutes and answer the question, why the sacraments? Why has God been so good enough to leave us with two holy sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper? Why? Now, you might initially answer, well, because the Lord commanded us to partake of this thing. The Lord commands us. The Lord certainly instituted baptism in the Gospel of Matthew. We see that we're to go into the world to teach and to baptize. And he also left us this sacrament. As often as you do this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. But why did the Lord leave us the sacraments? Now, guys, the answer to this question this morning is important to everyone here. 
whether you're young or old, you ought to know why we partake of these sacraments. Now, if you're a parent this morning and you have young children, the day is coming when they're going to propose the question, why do we do this? Because they're inquisitive. They're going to see us do it. They're going to, they're going to watch us as we do this. And they're going to know, want to know why the sacraments. Why do we drink this juice? Why do we break this bread? So he answered the question this morning, why the sacraments? First of all, the sacraments set us apart from the world. The sacraments teach us that we are a marked people. Now, if we're going to fully appreciate the sacraments, we've got to understand something about the covenants. Gang, throughout all of God's dealing with His people in Scripture, two things are characteristic. First of all, God's relationship with Israel is consistently characterized by His bonding them to Himself by means of a covenant. And secondly, attached to those covenants are physical signs and seals. Now, we could talk about several covenants of the Old Testament. We could talk about the, the, the uh, covenant with Noah. Now, what was the physical sign of the covenant God made with Noah? You remember? The rainbow. We haven't seen a rainbow in a few weeks here, but the rainbow was the physical sign attached to the Noahic covenant. We could talk about the covenant in the book of Genesis, the covenant with Abraham. The physical sign attached to the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. We could talk about the Mosaic covenant. Physical sign, at least the quasi-physical sign of the Mosaic Covenant was the Sabbath. We could talk about the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic Covenant, the sign of the Davidic Covenant was the royal throne. Now guys, all of these covenants of the Old Testament pointed toward the ultimate covenant to come, the New Covenant. All of these covenants of the Old Testament were typological of the great and final covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ. And in that covenant, Christ achieves in himself the essence of the covenant principle. I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. And so, first of all, the covenant or the sacraments set us apart from the world. We are a marked people. Now, guys, if, you're gonna under, if we understand the signs of the covenant, the signs of the covenant are interpreted through the covenant itself. In the Abrahamic covenant, the physical sign was circumcision. Now, though certainly an outward physical mark, the significance of circumcision was primarily spiritual. Circumcision represented cleanliness. That's why the Lord meant, that's what he meant when he said that I will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and live. Circumcision was an outward sign that God required a circumcised heart. God requires of his people a cleansed heart. And so the waters of baptism, the physical sign attached to this sacrament is water. And the water represents the washing away of sins. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I think it's interesting that in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, as Israel comes to more maturity, to fuller maturity, she's given a new name. The Greek word for the church in the New Testament is ekklesia. And this Greek word used throughout the New Testament, identifying the church, means that the church are that which is called out. And it's clear that that from which we're called 
as the church is the world. And Christ prayed in John 17 for this separation. He prayed. And in this prayer, we understand that this separation is not a separation from the world. It's a separation from the world. It's not a separation, a physical separation. Jesus was praying for a spiritual separation. And in the same epistle from which our text is taken this morning, Paul reminds us that we are bought with a price. And you will know that you must glorify God in your body, he says, and in your spirit, which are God's. And later Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. It's not merely that a believer ought not to drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils at the same time. It's that he cannot. When I was a child growing up in um, Michigan, I, I may have mentioned this to you before, but one of the earliest childhood memories that I have is standing in the sanctuary of the inner city Baptist church there in Detroit, Michigan, watching as a young child, probably four years old, watching as my parents took communion. And even as a young child, I remember standing there thinking, what is this? I mean, what's going on here? What are my parents doing? This is unique, isn't it? Again, God has used that childhood experience over and over in my life. In fact, many times when I sit here with Jimmy and we serve you these sacraments, I often think about that childhood experience. And God uses it to remind me that we are indeed a unique people because the sacraments set us apart from the world. We are a holy people. Secondly, this morning, the sacraments celebrate Christ. Now, many of you grew up in the same tradition I did, a tradition that teaches that these sacraments, especially this sacrament here, is a reminder of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, our Lord's own words were, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And we agree, the sacraments are a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us on Calvary. But that's not all. If we stop there, if we say that the sacraments are simply, are just a reminder, we fail to grasp their true meaning and the efficacy of these sacraments. They're more than that. They're more than just a reminder. I want you to listen to me very carefully because if you miss this, you could totally misunderstand what I'm about to tell you. The sacraments do not simply exhibit what Christ has done for us. They are a means by which Christ communicates grace. What I'm saying to you this morning is that by the sacraments, that grace is conveyed to us in the sacraments. Now let me illustrate it. Maybe that'll help you understand. How many of you guys, you can raise your hand, how many of you guys are married? Come on, don't hesitate, all right? Uh, guys, those of you who are married, uh, try this experiment. For the next six months, uh, stop kissing your wife. Just make a covenant. I'm not going to kiss my wife. I'm not going to hug her. I'm not going to kiss her for six months. And see what happens after six months. <laughs> 
I tell you what, if I stopped kissing Carla for six months, I know what you're thinking, she'll take the broom to me, but if I stopped kissing Carla for six months, you know what she'd do? She'd confront me with something like this. If you still love me, why have you stopped kissing me? You know why? Because she needs it. She's designed that way to need that physical expression of my love. Now the point is this. The sacraments are a physical means through which God is expressing or God is conveying the reality of his affection and love. Through the sacrament this morning, God is embracing us. God is, if you please, kissing us this morning expressing through a physical means his grace and love for us. Now, if I can take the illustration one step further, I know that the greatest consolation, the greatest source of security that my wife enjoys in this life, apart from her relationship with Jesus Christ, the greatest source of consolation and security that she has in this life is the reality, the realization that I, as her husband, that I am committed to her. It brings her great strength and great security. Well, guys, often we come to this sacrament, and it becomes for us a reminder of, um, of our commitment that we made to Christ. It reminds us of our, our faith. But, guys, if that's all, we have a, a very unhealthy appreciation of the sacraments. The whole point of the sacrament is not to say that we've got a strong faith, but to say that we've got a great Christ upon whom the weakest faith may rest. We are secure in Him. The sacraments hold up Jesus Christ as the brazen serpent and says, look and live. The sacraments celebrate Christ. And finally this morning, not only do the sacraments set us apart from the world, not only do the sacraments celebrate Christ, but the sacrament, or through the sacraments, our love for Christ is confirmed. Did you get that? Through the sacraments, our love for Christ is confirmed. I've been watching television a little bit this week. Um, I... Tuesday, I think it was, was the celebration of the D-Day invasion. And they coincided this year's uh, celebration with the opening of the D-Day Museum in New Orleans. I've never wanted to go to New Orleans, have no interest to go to New Orleans for anything until, until now. I'd love to go down there and see the D-Day invasion. You notice that Tom Brokaw hosted much of the celebration this week, especially on Tuesday. And it was because Tom Brokaw last year wrote a book, uh, The Greatest Generation, was a bestseller last year. My daughter bought that for me for my birthday last year, and I read that book. I highly recommend it. Great stories. It's a collection of stories of men who risked everything, walked off of the farms, out of high school, left college, and went to Europe to fight for their cause. Wonderful stories in there of men who love their country. And one thing all of these men had in common, a love for freedom and a love for the flag and what she represents. I, I don't think anything illustrates it more beautifully than the story of my friend Clarence. And 
probably two years ago, I preached a sermon on grace, and I told you about my friend Clarence, and since that time, many of you have gone out to that Dillard store and met Clarence, and he's uh, really in, been encouraged by, uh, by that sermon. In fact, he asked me to send him a tape. I sent him a tape of the sermon I preached a couple of years ago. He sent it to his daughter, and uh, some of you even went out there and bought clothing from Clarence. Now, I'm not advocating that you go buy a new suit from Clarence, but Clarence is the guy that, one of the guys that Tom Brokaw could have very well written about. He was a man that left high school, went into the army, trained for battle, and was shipped off to Italy at the beginning of the war. You remember his story? Went through all of the training, got all of the confidence. His team was ready to go into battle. They were determined to run the Germans out of Italy chase them all the way back to Berlin, capture Hitler themselves. Clarence's team landed on, made the invasion there in Italy, and in, within two weeks, within two weeks, early one morning while they were out on patrol, they were overrun by German forces. And in a matter of hours, Clarence found himself on German transports, trucks, and then eventually trains on his way to Germany. And he ended up in Stalag 7A in Moosburg, Germany, and spent the rest of the war in a German POW camp. It was a camp that was designed to hold 3,000 people. They had 30,000 Allied soldiers crammed into those quarters before the end of the war. I sat there one day in that store and listened to Clarence tell me a story, and it was a fascinating story. I just loved to hear these firsthand experiences. He told me about how men daily Soldiers would die of starvation. Some of the men would just give up. No news from the outside world. They didn't know how the war was, war was going. They didn't know whether to ever go home again. Men would die daily. And Clarence said, but the greatest experience of all, he said, I'll never forget the day that we were liberated. And I said, tell me about that, Clarence. What was it like when you were liberated? He said, you want to read about it? He pulled out his wallet and he gave me a copy of this newspaper clipping. It was an article sent to Ann Landers. It's recalling that experience when Stalag 7A, the POW camp in Moosburg, Germany, was liberated. I love these words. I love this story. Listen to this. Dear Ann, an officer, retired colonel, is writing to Ann Landers, recalling the beautiful day they were liberated. And he says... My most memorable moment related to our flag occurred on a Sunday morning, April 29, 1945, at Stalag 7A, Moosburg, Germany, a POW camp where I was imprisoned along with 30,000 other allies. He said, we heard the deep rumble of diesel tanks approaching, but they were in the valley and we couldn't see them. And when the first tank poked its nose over the hill and the column of General Patton's 3rd Army tanks made their way to the main gate of our prison camp, a huge roar went up that drowned out all of the shouting. It was something to see those beautiful tanks. This was freedom coming up the road. Shortly after our liberators arrived, a grimy skinny but smiling G.I. shinnied up the flagpole of the main gate. He tore down the ugly swastika of Nazi Germany and replaced it with the glorious stars and stripes. It was a moment none of us will ever forget. There were many hardened veterans in that camp. Some of them had, had been POWs for more than three years. And the tears rolled down their cheeks and they were not ashamed to be seen crying. Then he said this, 
Being set free can do that to people. When they've been behind barbed wires and don't know if they'll ever see their families again. Being set free can do that to people. Paul uses that same analogy, a metaphor, describing our condition before we were set free. He says, the whole script, or the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held, listen to these words, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Then he continues in verse 26 of Galatians 3. We were all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of us have been baptized into Christ, having clothed ourselves with Christ. We have been set free. A few months ago, I, was, uh, I had spent the, most of one day in the emergency room. And it, uh, it was, this so happened that when we got there, Carla drove me up there. When we got there, uh, I spent the entire, almost the entire shift of this one particular nurse. This one particular nurse cared for me that afternoon there in the emergency room. And she was a very dutiful nurse, did her job very well. And I don't think I was a very good patient because I was in quite a bit of pain. But she took care of me that day. That afternoon, we got to go home, and Carla drove me home, and we got to the house, and uh, Carla does this really well. She got me comfortable and down in the bed, and, um, and then she went off to get my prescription, my medicine, to help relieve the pain. She came back, and I was upstairs in the bed, and I could hear her down in the kitchen fixing dinner, and I hadn't eaten since the day before, and I was very hungry, and I started smelling the food, the smell of the food come up the stairs, and it, it dawned on me that afternoon. There was a difference between the care that Carla, that uh, the nurse gave me in the emergency room and the care my wife was giving me at home. I'll take my wife's care any day over that nurse's care. She was a good nurse. She was a dutiful nurse. But here was the difference. That nurse acted out of a sense of duty. Carla did for me what she did because of her heart. She loved me. There was a difference. Guys, does the prisoner of war, does a Clarence love a Patton who at the risk of his own life crosses enemy lines to set him free? Does the drowning sailor love the man who plunges into the ocean and grabs him by the hair of the head to save him from a watery grave? Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The sacraments celebrate Christ. They set us apart from the world. And through these sacraments, our love for Christ is confirmed. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to close the service in a little bit different fashion. 
I'm going to give you just a moment there in your seats. Maybe you need to offer up a prayer of uh, confession this morning. Maybe there's some sin in your life that needs to be confessed before we, we come to this table. Do that right now as we wait just a moment. Maybe some of you need to um, offer up a prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe it's been a long time since you just paused and said, Lord, thank you for these sacraments. Thank you for this table and what it represents for us and to us this morning. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you uh, are outside the household of faith. You would like to know more about the gospel of grace. I'd love to talk with you. At the end of the service, I'm going to stay down front. Come see me. I'd love to spend some time with you. I'll wait here for you at the close of this service. Our Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this sacrament. We thank you that specifically the bread truly represents the broken body of Jesus Christ and the cup represents the spilled blood of our Savior. We thank you that through this sacrament we are reminded of the cleansing that we found at the cross of Christ. Father, more than that, we thank you that you choose to convey your grace to us through this sacrament. Thank you, Father, that you relate to us because we are physical beings who need, who stand in need of a physical sacrament. We need it, Father. Thank you for that. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we celebrate this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. I've asked the team to come back this morning and lead us in just a brief time of worship. We placed on the back side, would you stand please? On the back side of that uh, folder insert are the words to our songs this morning. We're going to invite you to sing with us before we celebrate this second. Jesus took the bread and he broke it before the disciples and he gave thanks. And he said, take this, eat this. This is my body, just broken for you. took the cup, he gave thanks, offered it to his disciples and said, drink from it all of you. This is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now to him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, 
to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.